Hello and welcome to another special presentation of In the Money Media and Santa Anita Park. We're going to be looking at this Breeders' Cup Challenge Pick 6 on Saturday, October 7th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital. Very pleased to be back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. And we have put together, frankly, an impressive panel of horse players. So I'm very excited to get their take on this wager that I'm eagerly looking forward to sinking my teeth into. going to be uh, tweeting what my final tickets look like. I'm going to be certainly taking into account the input of all the folks who are going to be on the show tonight. If you don't know, really cool. We've got three Breeders' Cup prep races from Keeneland, three Breeders' Cup prep races from Santa Anita, all tied together in a $1 pick six. And I'll introduce the panel before we get into the races. First up, a man who uh, was with me here last week as we were talking about uh, opening weekend, opening day at Santa Anita. In fact, that is Jack Chappie Chapman from Santa Anita. Chappie, what's going on? How was the start of the meet out there? Good vibes? Good vibes, uh, good crowds, and everybody's excited for this weekend. I know last weekend we were worried about the rain that we had. Well, I could tell you, gentlemen, that uh, no worries. We're back to more Southern California weather this weekend. Sunny and a high of 94 on Saturday. So Whoa. fast and firm. <laughs> we'll get the weather report from Lexington from our next guest returning to us. Uh, he's been a regular on the network this year with his immensely popular pro player diary. Somebody joked with me, Sean, today that uh, he's a huge fan of yours and he never wishes a losing streak on anybody, but he hopes maybe you go a little cold if it means we'll get a few more podcasts because he misses having you on. <laughs> I'm speaking of Sean Harmon. Sean, what's up, buddy? Oh, what's happening, PTF? I, I, as you can see, I'm in a dungeon here, so I don't know much about the weather. They they just sort of leave me down here to my own devices. Thankfully, they've got the Rivington Park feed on. <laughs> That's hardcore. That's who you're dealing with here, folks. I do believe there is some rain in the forecast. You you hear any pitter patter on the on the windows right now? It started sprinkling tonight, so it uh, it might be a little damp tomorrow. But I mean, we've we've had quite the drought, so I, I don't anticipate the turf being bad or anything like that. Last but not least, a man who uh, helps out at Keeneland, making the morning line. You read him regularly over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. One of the most respected horse players slash uh, contest players out there, my pal Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, my man. Good to see all of you. And I can let you know that as of uh, 9 o'clock Eastern on Thursday night, I've not heard one complaint about Keelan Morning Lines yet. So ready to be wrong. Flowing in. Yeah, now I'm telling you, it's, they're probably thinking oh, he had help with it or something. <laughs> the internet may be broken. That's that's really the only explanation. I, I never said it X. See, I was, I was the villain on Twitter, but on X, I'm actually... Uh, <laughs> It's a first start. It's a first start. I think everybody's just preoccupied with the Swift drama on Twitter. They don't have time to deal with Nick's problems anymore. <laughs> I'm here for that. Sean, I got to tell you, I got a pick six ticket for the sequence if you want to get in on it. I'll send you pictures. Damn it, Nick. I was going to try to sell mine, but they would go in partners. Sean, well, in all seriousness, the the these multi-track pick sixes are they something that's a appealing to you as a professional level player or is it more a curiosity uh it just depends on the sequence for me um i think this one's a little appealing um i think there's some short prices i'm gonna take stands against so you know i i, I sort of anticipate actually playing this one but a, a lot of them it just depends on the you know whatever sequence they they roll out there <laughs> 
offer. One size does not fit all, but I have to say I'm really impressed just by the creativity. It's the kind of wager I feel like for fans who are looking to start to get their teeth sunk into Breeders' Cup form study handicapping uh, from from a long way out. This is a great way to get familiar with a lot of the horses who are going to be key players and do so what I think is going to be good financial terms for a player, and I do not think will be dominated by computer money. So on that level, um, I, I do I do look forward to participating. Uh, Nick, I guess I guess you you can't play this, huh? As with with your role at Keeneland, or how does that work? Are you allowed to you're allowed to gamble on Keeneland races? How, how, how do the rules work? I mean, based on my performance in April, I wish I wasn't allowed. But <laughs> um, you know, yeah, no, no, they don't get in my way. I can't play the contest. So Got no, okay. right. that no, makes no, sense. no BCBC when the when the Breeders' Cup is at Keeneland. But yeah, no, I'm in fact, Jim Goodman sent me a note after I sent in the odds for the first two cards and said, good luck. <laughs> you know, our yeah. friend, director of simulcasting, Jim Goodman, one of the greatest, one, one of the great, great contest directors out there. Chappie, is it similar rules at Santa Anita? No, no contest, but no restrictions on on wagering. How does it work out there? Well, if there were restrictions on wagering, I would have been fired 27 years ago. So that's uh, we're, we're okay with that. But yeah, no contests. Everything else is uh, they they let you have at it. So we're all Fair good. Game. All right, let's dive into these races, and we do start off at Keeneland. 4:12 Eastern is the scheduled post time for the Thoroughbred Club of America uh, Stakes Grade Two action for these fillies and mares. We're going six furlongs, and we've got some. Uh, some big names in this sequence, including uh, Ugiri and, and Wicked Halo. Very curious to see how the panel is looking to approach the first leg of this pick six at Keeneland. Nick, we'll start with you. Yeah, you know, I thought this was a this was a relatively tough way to start. And, and you know, to me, the deciding factor in making Ugiri the favorite was that she just ran very well last time. She had a very soft trip. Uh, pace wise and and just kind of stalked outside and went on with it uh, making it look somewhat facile but you know it kind of feels like a similar trip is in the offing here the the concern I had with Wicked Halo who granted ran very well here twice last year is that you wonder if maybe the treads coming off her tires a little bit she ran hard four races in a row Steve Asmussen is a guy who runs his horses campaigns them aggressively but she was really flat last time and, you know, when you're talking about Keeneland, especially on the dirt, you have to bring up that Steve Asmussen's barn has not been very good at Keeneland. It is definitely not Churchill for him. It's not Saratoga. It's a place that he struggled at mightily over the last few years. I felt like she really took the worst of it at the post position draw as well. Um, so I, I favored as far as the pick six goes using a horse like Yagiri. I thought maybe the interesting horse that I could make a case for was Last Leaf. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, this horse is also cross-entered in the Princess Rooney. Um, so there might actually already be word out there as far as where she's going. But he did enter her in this race after he entered her in the Princess Rooney. So um, I'm assuming that, that she'll stay home. And I thought maybe Saez could get her a little bit little bit more involved, but also be a little off the pace that could be somewhat contested. So I kind of wanted to start with those two and just try and get out of the first leg of life. 6-3, try to get uh, the ball moving in the right direction. Sean, how about you? How does this race look on on your proprietary uh, numbers? Uh, you know, I, I'm sort of in agreement with Nick. Um, it, it sort of looks like to me that Gary's the best horse and, and should get a perfectly fine trip. Um, the only other, you know, horse I want to mention was the uh, the four static fire. 
Um, I really sort of liked her last turf race at Kentucky Downs. I thought she could she could you know make some noise at, at maybe a decent price. Those two last dirt races uh, look very very strong. Um, is is that previous dirt form part of your case for Static Fire? Or is it really just all about the current form in that Kentucky Downs race? You know, I think it's, I try to just lean on the, the most recent race or the most recent couple. So to me, it's more about current form. But, you know, I obviously like to see a, a horse that's coming off a turf race have previous good dirt form. That's that's certainly something I look for. Yeah, it doesn't hurt at all. Second off a, off a long layoff, too. You might be able to sit rather handy for a runner who looks to have at least some bit of finish. Chappie, let's bring you in for your West Coast perspective on this Keeneland race. Obviously, you're the man when it comes to all things Santa, but obviously you're going to be getting involved in an opportunity like this. What numbers will be on your tickets as we light this candle? Nothing new to add for me. I'm, I was kind of 6'4", just uh, along with these guys. You know, obviously, Uguri gets off the rail, should get a nice stalking trip, and I thought, like you talked about with Static Fire, ran well off the bench last time, two for two on the dirt, and actually has a win at Keeneland as well. Doesn't hurt, so Nothing uh, crazy here. I was 6'4 as well. Before we move on from this race, I did want to bring in Sean one more time to ask about that angle that Nick mentioned that I totally have noticed and agree with. It's so weird, this idea that the Steve Asmussen numbers do seem decidedly weaker at Keeneland. I know, Sean, sometimes you're a player who loves to fade more narrative-type angles like that that don't have anything to do with a horse's uh, condition as it can be discerned from the PPs. But when something is that noticeable, does it factor into your thoughts at all? Is that part of why you stayed away from Wicked Halo in this spot, or is it more to do with that last race? It's just more to do with the figures. I, you know, I got to be honest. I, I heard you guys talking about it. I don't even know what his numbers look like in Keemar. That's how little I pay attention to that stuff nowadays. Um you know he he's he's not been great at Keeneland lately, but I mean there was a time where he would come in and just dominate those two year old races. Um, so it's not like the guy can't train at Keeneland for whatever reason. Uh, his programs changed a little bit. I understand, but you know guys like Steve Asmussen, you know Brad Cox, like those guys can train horses anywhere. Um, so I don't you know I don't put much stock in, in those those trainer stats all that much let's go out to the west coast and check out santanita's third race it's the grade two chandelier for these two-year-old fillies going a mile and a 16th a race uh, very notable in its absence of uh of tamara who's going to be training up to the breeders cup juvenile fillies but we're still left with a, an interesting field of 10 here including some runners we've talked about on previous shows chappie you're a man for santanita who do you like in this spot well, I think this is a very interesting race. Obviously, there's you know one horse in the entire race that's gone two turns, and that's Autumn Chill. So you don't really know much about uh, what they're going to do going two turns going along. That being said, I'm I'm kind of playing against Dua. I didn't love the maiden race that Dua came out of. Um, I do think you know, on paper, you never know go, going along. There doesn't look like there's a whole lot of speed signed on. Um, my topic is actually going to be the six gate to paradise. This is this horse is stretching out for John Sheriff's adds the blinkers. And if you watch the last race, uh, I'm not thrilled the Sormos back on this horse, but it was very odd the way he rode this horse. It's almost like at about the three eighths pole. He eased up, 
because I had bet the horse and I thought the horse was going to run last. And then the horse kind of re-engaged and ran third. And, and I could have, I had a huge exact Tamara to that horse and it was very odd to me. But anyways, the horse is working very well. I think uh, two sprints to a route for, for a guy like Sheriff's is very patient that this horse is going to run big. I love the last work on XBTV. And another horse I give a look to is the one uh, Chattelis for Mark Glatt. This horse won first time out, working well. Like I said, it doesn't look like there's a lot of speed, so I think this horse is going to get a good position early. And, uh, it could, you know, it's a little bit of a spread because, like I said, I don't know about the two-turn aspect of it. But those would be my top two plays in here. Definitely hear you on Gate to Paradise. It's so unusual to see sheriffs with a maiden running in a grade two. And it's the kind of thing where with a veteran trader like that, I sort of just, in, in him, I trust a little bit with a move like this. You mentioned you're going to spread, Chappie. Why don't you name check some of the runners you want as backups as well? And I'll obviously note that the six and the one are your top ones. But who else are you interested in? Well, I'm I'm going to use the, the the Pletcher horse. Just he ships out here going long from Saratoga. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use Autumn Chill because of the fact it's the only horse who's won going two turns. And, you know, Keith DeSormo is another guy who – they take takes a while to get them into shape and and they usually run better going longer and and i, I i'm i'm going to use laurent uh just because of the fact that peter urton seems to win on everything he touches right now and he's just been absolutely on fire i didn't love the last work uh so a little bit of spread in here if dua beats me dua beats me Best of the rest, Lauren, was in that uh, Tamara race in the Del Mar debutante. Sean will bring you back in to get some thoughts on this. I thought this was sort of a tough race um, for a lot of the reasons Jeff mentioned. This just the lack of two turns, um, you know. But I, I'm against the the two morning line favorites. I'm against the one, and I'm against the seven. Um, I've got both of them sort of declining all the way through their pace lines and their in their last race. And that, that to me is just a real negative sign, especially at a short price, um, unproven going long. So I, I'm gonna use in a probably a weighted spread, I, I'm gonna use the the two scalable the three Pacific rows, maybe a little of the four. Um, Pink Whitney, five, Autumn Chill, the six, Gate to Paradise, and the eight, Lorette. You really don't have to, you know, worry too much about using that many when you're tossing two. They're going to be so much a part of the market. Lauren is actually listed on, on the numbers I'm looking at as the morning line favorite at five to two, but you've got uh, the one at four to one and the seven at three to one. So that gives you plenty of room, uh, plenty of room to, to spread around a little bit. And you, you talk about essentially trying to use those all equally, Sean, as opposed to grading them out much into A's and B's? Um, well, you know, I I sort of try to weight them by percentages um, mm -hmm. instead of A's and B's. I guess it's sort of an A and B approach, but I'll, you know, I'll weight Laurent more than some of those others. And, and you know, horses like Pink Whitney, maybe less. Um, but just sort of, I try to weight it a little bit blend how I think the market's going to weight them then also blend in my own opinion. So if I, you know, if I think, I think Lauren's going to have 30% of the market on it, 
but I really like the horse, I might bump that up to 50 and then weight some of the other ones lower than that as an example. That's not necessarily what I'll do exactly in this race, but that's sort of how I think about it. Nick, let's bring you in uh, for your thoughts on uh, this running of the chandelier. Yeah, I've been kind of a Laurent uh, fanboy since her debut. Um, and of course, I didn't buy the hype on Tamara last time and paid the price. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought Laurent ran well, all things considered. Uh, she feels like a horse who probably will get better with a little bit more ground. I, I, I admittedly, I'm not good at forecasting which of these horses are going to get better with more distance because I do think that in many ways they they really are effective as a one run closing sprinting type, and so that kind of maybe exaggerates the uh, the thought that that they might be better with more distance. But she's bred on the bottom side for distance the blinkers are going on which i'm hoping sharpens her up a little bit early she has kind of an odd way of going about her too and, and she's gone kind of wide around the turn both of the last two times somewhat by design so hopefully she doesn't do that this time i mean like like both chappie and sean kind of alluded to it's an awfully tough race to narrow down um i, I don't really know why i guess other than having kind of an embarrassment of, of two-year-olds on the eastern part of the of the united states I'm not really sure why Scalable is running in this race, other than maybe she's training particularly well. But I mean, there are, there was a, a two-year-old maiden special weight race today where Todd Fletcher had a relatively short price, and Scalable would have been about four to one in there at at at, at Aqueduct. So I, I don't know exactly what to do with her. Ironically, on figures, I mean, she kind of fits. She's a little bit more of a fringe player, but yeah, I think I would probably try and, and hitch my wagon to the five and eight as as my main horses. And I'd back up with some combination of the the one, two, four, and six. I'm not a Dua fan. Um, I thought Dua won a very, very weak maiden special weight race at Del Mar and came back with a a very underwhelming performance in the Sorrento. I know she was a little bit inside as well, which maybe isn't exactly the place to be. But um, I'm no I'm no great fan of Dua's. Let's head back to uh, the middle part of the country for Keeneland's ninth race. The pick skips over the first lady where uh, in Italian will be a very short price. And we continue with more two-year-old action in the Breeders' Futurity, 514, the scheduled post time for this one, going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. And uh, and some some horses that we've uh, yapped quite a bit about um, on Baby Talk and other places throughout the season. Interesting group of, of two-year-olds assembled here for this grade one action. Sean Borman, who's your idea of the winner? Um, You know, this is another race where I don't really like... Um I guess he's the second choice, the Timberlake. I'm completely against him, so I'm just going to throw him out and, and use the the one, the three, the six, and the eight. Uh, yes, the eight, sorry. Um, it's some sort of weighted play. I'll, I'll press the three a little bit. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't really trust that horse much either, to be honest. In terms of these big prices, you mentioned the the, the six and the eight. What is it that uh, what is it that attracts you to neither of these Kenny McPeak runners? Well, you know, the, they they both they both have run pretty efficiently throughout their races and and relatively fast. I mean, this is a race. You know, this is a Grade One race in name only to me. There's not really a Grade One two year old in here, um, and there's certainly not a a real finisher. Um, you know, I like to look at horses that can run throughout the race and run through the wire and finish relatively close to par. And, and there's just not 
nothing in here that's even close but those two have at least shown the ability to to take some pressure and still finish off a little a little better than the rest of these they both have shown the ability to not just be one one way speed they can pass horses and I just think that's a big advantage in these two year old races once they stretch out and start going long for the first time I get it especially in a race uh, time from US anyway codes as uh, being fast early they do look like potentially the best closers at huge prices who've had success going long trained by a guy who's known for getting horses to run through the wire who's no stranger to springing upsets you've got me convinced to throw them in on some tickets Nick, let's bring you in and let's go back to the pace question first and foremost. Do you agree with the time form uh, U.S. pace projector in this one? Do you think we're going to see a fast pace? Well, this race changes a lot when Timberlake runs in the Champagne, so um, which is going to happen. Uh, okay. he's, already, he's already shipped to New York. So, uh, you know, I, Brad Cox did this on both Friday and Saturday and, you know, it didn't doesn't do anybody any favors that are doing a work. A long way out but um yeah so awesome road is significantly helped by i'm not that they were going to get in some tooth and nail pace battle but he's helped by now kind of being the lone speed i mean for what it's worth and i'm not i'm not big on this particular stuff i know the barn's been high on awesome road kind of from day one and um and, and pedigree wise he feels like a pretty interesting horse so i mean you know to me the, the question really is how exactly are you going to go about beating locked um, who, who ran really well second time out. I mean, there's actually an argument to be made that that he ran just as well as he did on debut. Speed figure-wise, he obviously improved not quite as much on a Timeform US fig as he did on uh, on the uh, the buyer speed figure scale. But, I mean, he ran extremely well last time. And drumroll, drum please, who was second, was a Brad Cox horse who had been training well. He was 13 lengths clear of the balance of that field. So, I mean, Locked is a very, very serious horse to me. And you kind of envision that maybe unless just steel is ridden very aggressively by Joel early locked is going to get that ideal outside stalking trip up within range of awesome road. And I mean, if he duplicates his last race, he's going to be very, very tough to beat in my opinion. And this is no, no great insight on my part, but uh, he looks like a horse that I could single and, and I would probably relegate the one and three and a little bit of the six as backups. Fun. I got to bring you back in to ask why you didn't, come up with with Locke? What was it that you saw about him to put you off? Well, I mean, really the price. I, you know, I don't have that last figure nearly as high as the buyer figure. I, you know, I've got him improving, but not like super dramatically. Um, but his pace line on my stuff is basically identical to the six and the eight. So why take seven to five or even Ruddy or whatever the hell he's going to be after Timberlake scratches? when I can get 15 or 20 to one on horses that, that are a little more seasoned, um, you know, that, that are just going to be much better prices. I mean, locked might, might win. Sure. But you know, if you get you Geary in the first leg and some four to one shot in the second leg and then locked, what's the point of even playing this bet? So that's, that's basically, it's just price price yeah. versus talent. It's logic. Let's uh, it's logic. That makes sense. Let's get back to you, Chappie. Well, where are you going to go in this Keeneland race? Yeah, I was pretty chalky in here. I was I was basically three nine. Um, that's why I like to have these guys on here that pay much more attention to the East Coast racing and Midwest than I do because I I strictly laser focused on the West Coast. So uh, thank you, Sean. I will be adding some prices uh, 
based on what what you you're be, talking. You may be about. cussing me soon. <laughs> As my dad always says, a bad tip's better than no tip at all. So I'll take it and uh, run with it. That's J- that's JK's motto for his entire life. So yes. Oh my God. My dad would have been a huge hit on uh, Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it. Uh, that's 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 good logic for that for that formerly relevant platform. We're gonna keep it at Keeneland here before we head back out to the West Coast. This is a cool race. This is the Coolmore Turf Mile, which is a race that really could have major uh, implications for the Breeders' Cup Mile. Might even uh, determine the favorite. Really, Nick, how how did you uh, did you struggle with with this morning line? Um, we'll start with that question. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're all a struggle to an extent, but, um, I mean, I did kind of go back and forth as far as, as whether I would make master of the Caesar up to the mark, the favorite, ultimately the determining factor for me. And, and I was told by a, a friend when I asked him that I was, that I was definitely wrong. Um, but based on some of what I've been told by this person, I think I probably got it right. So, um, the, the Appleby horses have just been bet relentlessly in North America over the last year and a half. So, you know, the, the other thing that I thought was that the up to the mark layoff has to at least give the betters a little pause. You know, I I mean, I know he looked very, very good in both the Turf Classic and the Manhattan. And and I know Sean can can attest to me being a bit of a doubter uh, in the Manhattan. Sean was adamant that he was a total stick out in there and he ran like it. I mean, he absolutely walloped that field. Master of the Seas did something similar in terms of how good he looked last time, but it was a weak Woodbine mile, right? I mean, it wasn't a Woodbine mile that would really make you harken back to some of the better runnings of it. So I thought Master of the Seas would probably get a little bit more money when all was said and done. It seems like when when Appleby uh, runs these horses here and, and I mean, he went off two to five. I get, again, I know it was a weak Woodbine mile, but he looked very, very good in that race. Appleby's horses in general have run a little bit better north of the border than they have in the States, but they've still been good enough to really uh, to, to get a lot of mention here. So that was my long rambling answer to your very simple question. Oh, it, it, was, it, it did take me, it took me a few minutes to ultimately decide on uh, on uh, Master of the Seas being a slight favorite. I think, I think you probably got it right, honestly, uh, based on that Appleby. It's so damn close either way. I mean, it's right. It's yeah. And the Appleby enthusiasm hasn't been dampened by the fact that he hasn't had his greatest season, especially not the very below par in England. And rock solid in North America, but not the the ridiculous dominance we've seen in seasons past. But that hasn't taken a dent out of the market. All right. So I asked you a question with your morning line maker hat on. How about with your punting, your gambling hat on? What numbers will be on your tickets? Yeah, I mean, you know, barring something a little unforeseen with uh, with Master of the Seas, I mean, he feels like a horse that's probably supposed to win again. I don't know if he'll duplicate that good form coming back somewhat quickly, but um, he didn't really get much pace to run out last time and still finished pretty strongly. All things considered I mean, he has the look of a, of a really solid horse that might fit a North American style racing quite well. The speed in here is pretty suspect. So I, I wouldn't find myself overly concerned with whether there's going to be enough pace on, I think in a way the horse that I'd probably be most inclined to take, that's going to be somewhat forwardly placed as a tone. Um, who I think kind of ran well in in a in a way in the Minvillian last time. Um, he didn't run great. He would have to elevate his game significantly to win this race. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking for another alternative, I'll try and beat up to the mark. I don't know 
really if a mile is his game when push comes to shove anyway. And um, and so I would I would be willing to take a little bit of a stand against him there. One and seven. Any other numbers you wanted to name check? It would, it would mainly just be one seven as a backup. Uh, right. And that, that'd be it for me. All right, Sean, let's bring you in. I, I see it maybe a little bit more open than than Nick does just in terms of, uh, you know, I think this is the site of Annapolis's greatest triumph. And I think you can tell some stories about his recently uh, seemingly below par form. But what do you think? Who, who do you like in the uh, Coolmore Turf Mile? I think it's I think it's a very hard choice to me. It's sort of a two horse race between Master of the Season up to the mark. Um, they they're both really impressive, really fast overall, and and finish fast. I, I'm going to give a slight edge to up to the mark. Um, he's got sort of a figure pattern that I love to see that in the past has shown me that horses could even take another step forward. I think if he does that, even if it's a length, he's definitely the best horse in here. I also think he might be just a little bit more tactical than master of the seas and could get first jump on that one. Um, but it's, it's very close. Uh, in, in terms of this particular wager, I think you've got to pick one of them. I don't think you can use both just from an equity standpoint. So I, I'm just going to say I'll single up to the market and live or die with that. You mentioned the bit about the, the pattern that you see. Is it less impactful, less significant to you when that pattern is in a race that was 119 days ago? Does it give you any no. question? No, it doesn't. Especially if it's, you know, guy like Pletcher, um, you know, he, he could train off the layoff. And I've seen it work over your layoffs. I've seen it work. I've just seen it work so much that I just, you know, we've talked about this on the pro player show before that I've tried to just simplify my thought processes quite a bit and I know it works. So I just don't, I I don't factor in the trainer staff. I don't factor in the layoff stuff. It's just, you know, it's just figures. Um, Even your numbers. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a logic to it too. I mean, there's the idea of a pattern showing a horse in current condition that I, it, and if you were looking at it that way, I would say that recency would matter. But if you're just talking about something in your figures that shows you, hey, this horse might have more under the hood, look better, be fundamentally better than what the bare form suggests, that could go. That could be a, off a year and a half layoff and and still be the truth. So it's it's. Uh, I think there's a real logic to to that. I just wanted to delve into it for for a little bit because I think it's interesting. Chappy, let's bring you in for this last one at, at Keeneland. Are we looking at a match between Master of the Seas and up to the mark? Is anybody interested in my in my Annapolis idea? I, I gave I gave a little bit of look to Annapolis just because I was trying to find a price in there. But I, I kind of thought the one and the five were the two logical. So I hate to be chalky here, but uh, I thought it was one or the other. Sean makes sense to maybe take a stand there because uh, as we're going through the sequence, it looks like we're we don't have many prices so far unless we get to one of that first leg. So uh, we'll see. But so no real preference for you between the two, one and five no. survive advance kind of an idea. No, I, I mean, I, I gave a little bit, a little bit of an edge to up to the mark, but you know, because of the layoff, I kind of was 50, 50 on the two. I'm thinking that that layoff may, and, and maybe I'm wrong here and I didn't read anything about it. But I and Nick, maybe you have info on this. I don't know if that was an injury related thing or a Fletcher deciding that uh, the horse wants to be a miler and like just laying out, okay, I'm going to have him 
bang on to run these two races and put them away to that. Do we do we know what happened? Do we know where up to the mark has been? I guess that's my question. Um, I can I can tell you that it was not a by design layoff. So okay. he was supposed to run the Arlington Million, and um, and then they were going to try and and take the pathway to the Breeders' Cup turf. But I think Todd's concern was whether he could have him ready off the bench to end up ultimately going a mile and a half. I mean, the all things considered, the turf became a significantly weaker race today, but um, it, it's still, a, a, I think, an objective that for him was always going to be pretty difficult uh, given his, you know, his predilection for going a little bit shorter. So uh, Rapoli had said something about the the sword dancer as well. Then they talked about the Baruch. That's probably, I mean, I should have alluded to it a little bit. That's probably a little bit of a concern of mine. I know yeah. this horse in 10 times without a break, but you know, when you're, when they're talking about being in training in August and you don't surface until two months later at a mile, when you look like a horse that probably wants to go a little bit farther than that. I, I just wonder if it's a, if it's a bad setup. I hear you on Annapolis. I really tried. He's been so bad in his last two. I, I just can't, I can't do it. The four star Dave was not terrible, but I mean, he had a really good trip and, and got beat on the square by Cossack Reed. So, and he had an excellent trip when he won this race last year. I mean, he sat good. perfect inside out trip. Now, I mean, maybe I said there was cheap speed in here. Maybe he's the horse you're supposed to be looking at because he's going to get the first run on some of the deeper closers. But I don't know. It felt like if that kind of horse won this race, it, it, it might be somebody else that's kind of a stranger or bigger price. Great info uh, all around there at the for the Keeneland portion of the card. We close out with a, I'll use the English term, with a brace of stakes at Santa Anita, starting with the Rodeo Drive. We're going a mile and a quarter on the turf for these Phillies and Mares, three and up. We've got a field of eight going postward and uh, a very sexy three-year-old in Anaset um, leading the market. Chappie, are you with or against Anaset? And how will you be uh, breaking out the horses in this race? Well, I mean, visually, I've absolutely loved Anaset, and she's galloped out about 20 in front the last two times. She's won, uh, obviously facing older here, going longer. The, the only thing that scares me a bit is she comes from the absolute clouds. And last weekend, you had to be right up front to win on this turf course. So I'm going to use her because she's got so much talent. The, the, the You know, from a pace standpoint, I wanted to make a case because there's not a lot of pace and, and speed was king last weekend for a horse like Neige Blanche. Um, but I think I'm going to stick the other horse I'm going to use is closing remarks, closing remarks that she came back, uh, this fall, she's been a little bit more tactical in her last two races. She used to kind of sit and make one run in her last two races. She's been up closer to the pace and she just seems like she's getting better. She's won her last two races for Carla Gaines, who's, uh, off to a, a hot start of this meet. So. I'm kind of those two, 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 four. I I love Anna Set. I just am concerned about the the race flow and her from being way out of it. So seven four two would be your selections if I were to uh, write them down for the in the money plus notes. Does that sound about right, Chappie? Yeah, in, in order, I guess I would go four two seven, four two and seven for Chappie there. Sean, let's bring you back in. How does it look like Anna Set? shapes up on your numbers uh is this rise in in class something she looks to be able to handle yeah i think so um she looks she looks pretty 
damn good to me. Um, you know, I, I sort of think it's between her and the and the Correa's horse, Didia, I guess. Yep. Um, but again, it's it's the kind of race where, you know, you've either got to pick one of those or like a longer priced horse, and I just couldn't find anything longer to really hang my hat on. So, you know, I think I'm just gonna I'm just gonna single Anna said and and hope she's good enough. She's got the best finish. Um, I think she's really nice. So I'm just I'll just I'll just hang with her and see how it goes. I, I'll be out of this thing long before this race anyway. <laughs> if anybody's been paying attention to my picks, so. looking to go very aggressive and uh, and high risk uh, high risk high reward strategy for Sean and a set his preference in the Rodeo Drive. How about you, Nick? How do you see this? I mean, you know, you want to talk about another horse that's been sidelined, not by design, but um, I mean, on paper, to me, I'll be very surprised if Didier doesn't win this race. I know I've I've been an Anaset fan since her her North American debut, um, and she came back and ran well in a couple of stakes. My issue with her last start is I thought she got an enormous pace to run at. I know she finished, but she also rode the rail the entire way. I mean, she got one of the all-time great rides that you're going to see a jockey put on a horse, and to make up the kind of ground that she did as quickly as she did without ever leaving the rail is just unbelievable. And so Umberto Raspoli, of course, uh, our, our paisan, Pete, um, is, is uh, Forza Azuri. Um, it, was a, it was a tremendous ride. And so, I, you know, I, I kind of figured she'd run in the QE2. I was a little surprised to see her here, but then realized she already got a grade one if you can stay home and be ready for the Breeders' Cup. Um, it just Didia has such an enormous tactical edge on her to me. There's really, there's no speed in this race. I mean, Turner Loose is not good enough to win this race. And, and, um, and otherwise, I mean, Didia is supposed to be significantly more forward. I think Nacho Correa is, is a very sneaky, good trainer, obviously returns to the site of his biggest domestic win, which was the, the Breeders' Cup Distaff in 2019. And she feels like a, a, a horse that really benefits from being on firm turf as well. So I think that that's kind of why she's out here rather than prepping uh, pretty much anywhere else. So the firmest turf courses that she's been on since she got to America were at Churchill on Oaks Day and then at Colonial last year. And I mean, she ran extremely well in both of them. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she does. Obviously, as far as the pick six goes, I mean, any tickets where I don't single Didia, I'll have a little bit of Anaset, but I'll lean pretty heavily on uh, on Didia in this spot. A little bit of Anaset sounds like the perfect end to a meal. It sounds like Johnny Ole in Godfather 2, right? He asked him what he wanted to drink, and he said, Anisette. Johnny Ole, in character, who also played the one and only Junior Soprano. That's right. That's right. Some of that great, uh, some of that great. There's not a ton of uh, crossover with, uh, with with Godfather and and, and uh, Sopranos. but And I don't tie it back into racing by telling you that Dominic Chianese, who we're talking about, sang the national anthem at the Monmouth Breeders' Cup in 2007. Wow, that's good. That's a good one. I saw yeah. him around. Uh, I saw him around Saratoga when those boys had uh, had horses for, for for a minute and a half in that same uh, in that same era. All right, one yeah. more. This is a horse racing podcast, believe it or not, and we will uh, we'll we'll close it out by talking about race number nine from Santa Anita, eight eleven Eastern scheduled post time. So not not one that you have to stay up late for. I'll be uh, I'll be watching uh, Billy Joel and 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 Stevie Nicks live in Baltimore, probably getting rained on while I have this on the phone. It's the grade one American Pharaoh, more two-year-old action. Muth, the even money favorite. We'll go back around the horn one more time, starting with you, Nick Tamara. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have a big lean against Muth. Um, 
but I will I will bet on BU as well. Um, I, I know, and I'm I'm interested to hear Sean's take on the hopeful, which was a shockingly slow race from a final time figure perspective. It was run at a very strong early pace. Um, I, I mean, I I didn't look it up because really it didn't matter all that much to me in the end. But did Muth actually ship to Saratoga and then come back when he didn't run in the in the hopeful because Baffert had some sort of lame excuse for why he wasn't running? I thought he was there. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, the stated excuse was that the field was salty and he wanted uh, to turn. It definitely sounded a little, it sounded like the kind of excuse that doesn't make me super thrilled about taking four to five going. Forward. Yeah. The field was salty and the race was won by a horse that'll probably never win a graded stake again. Just like <laughs> when, uh, when Faza had an outside post and the race was won by the horse that ended up having the outside post. Yes. Yes. It it wasn't an excuse to double with a ton of confidence going forward, but to Sean's point on the numbers, one that you know you certainly could, and, and your point as well, so when you certainly have to look at two in the six, the only two for you there, Nick. Yeah, I mean, BU really feels to me like the horse that's going to adjust best to a two turn configuration, just a horse that's very handy and seems to be able to switch off a little bit and settle. And so I think he'll really benefit from the extra ground. Sean, what of BU? He did make that move into the fast pace. But when a race comes back that slow, does that impress you at all? Um, you know, the hopeful was, it was really just a dreadful race full of bad horses, in my opinion. Um, you know, the, the, the late, the average late pace figure of, of that entire field, I went back and looked at this, was like 10 links slower than than what par should be for the for the hopeful um even the even the winner really didn't run a very fast late pace figure because they came home so slow in there so it's just it's it's really hard for me to take a horse like BU at a relatively short price even though he made a move into a fast pace in a in, just in a terrible race because I don't think he was that good going into that race um, you know this race tomorrow, Muth almost has to win this thing. Just, I just don't see anything else in here with with much talent at all uh, to be running at a Grade One race for two year olds. So, I think he sort of wins by by default, and then I, I probably would be against him as well in the Breeders' Cup. All right. So, you know, don't hold back, Sean. Tell us how you really feel with your thoughts on these two-year-olds. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why you bring me on here, right? I mean, exactly. you know, quite frankly, these are shitty two-year-olds. So, I mean, no, I'm not going to tell, tell you they're fucking all-stars because they're not. Bappy, how about you? What do you think of this local contingent? Can Muth get me? Yes. Um, Muth is probably the best horse. The other horse I'm interested in, strictly on watching some workouts on XBTV would be the other Baffert, which is Wind Me Up, who um, the last two works worked and outworked slightly Prince of Monaco, who actually beat Muth. And based on those two works and 12 to 1 in the morning line, I'm going to double up with Baffert, Baffert here and take a shot with Wind Me Up at 12 to 1. I've seen this movie before, Chappie, with the longer priced of the 
of the Bafferts getting the job done in the big graded stakes race going back to the mid nineties. So I don't think it's uh I don't think it sounds crazy. And they're they're as much as I take Sean's point about Muth on paper, there's something about the horse I just don't fully trust. And, and I like the idea of coming up with uh coming up with an alternative. Gosh, I wish I wish it could be a horse that uh but with, with a little bit of uh, with a little bit of finish. If you had to pick a finisher in this race, Sean not necessarily to win, but to hit the board, just something you had any confidence would be running at the end. Do, do, do any of these give you any faith for a third or fourth dink type horse, or, or is it just not that kind of field the way it sets up? It's just not that kind of field to me. Honestly, like on my stuff, Muth is the best finisher. Um, right. So that's what makes him, to me, so dominant is he's going to be in front of a lot of these, and he's still going to outfinish a lot of them, probably all of them. Um, there just there isn't a real sort of classic dinker in here. I, I guess, I mean, I guess maybe, maybe the five if he's ridden right, but they're putting blinkers on him, so I, I couldn't really count on it being ridden right. I, it's just a you know this is just not a great field to me. Um, it's not a field I'd want to be involved vertically at all, and it's either it's either moves or all of them in my opinion. And I just don't want to take all of them so. Nick, any closing thought from you before we get out of here about uh, this sequence? Anything we didn't get to? Any uh, host fails you can point out for me? Anything along those lines? Uh, you know, I've been keeping score of it here, so I'd have to narrow it down at the moment. But no, nothing nothing terribly offensive. Uh, one horse I did want to mention a little bit in this American Pharaoh, who's probably more of a placing chance than anything else, but indispensable feels like a horse who's going to get better with a little bit more ground and experience. John Sadler, not one that puts... A lot into his horses early so i i thought this horse i made a note after his debut that he was one maybe to take a look at going two turns at santa anita i expected this being a maiden race admittedly <laughs> a, little, a little tougher to be here but hey i mean he'll be about 10 times the price so yeah not not a not a terrible idea of something to throw in for your just a reminder to everybody also that this will be in a special pool so obviously on your adws and if you're at a brick and mortar then look for the special pool itself Again, it's a fifteen percent takeout as well, so um, it's it's a pretty pretty tough bet to uh, pass up on, and tying together a lot of races that are that are a lot of fun. Do you know, Chappie, what it's going to be called on the drop down BC Challenge Pick Six or something like that? S A E Pick Six. Do we know exactly what the keywords are? If not, we can tweet that info when we have it later. Well, if Andrew Arthur's watching, he's going to kill me. I do not know off the top of my head what it's called. Just trying to look on my phone. I'm not sure, to be honest. Well, thank. It'll be intuitive. We'll tweet it out when we get the info. Guys, we're way over time here, but I was just having too much fun going through these races with you. It's an exciting sequence. We're going to get major clues for the Breeders' Cup, if nothing else, and hopefully we gave you some winners and some good ideas along the way. For Jeff Chapman, for Sean Borman, for Nick Tamaro, this has been a production of In The Money Media and Santa Anita. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos.